Hello and welcome to Plotris and another episode of Errata Not Erotica. When reviewing A Reckless Match by Kate Bateman, um, I got a bit easily distracted <laughs> trying to figure out whether or not the main character had ever appeared in a previous book in the series and the material that the British royal family's wedding rings are made of. Uh, so I think this clip gives you a little bit of insight in what I make Meg deal with. I couldn't tell the way that whole sequence was written if he was a minor character in another book series. Oh, he might have been. This is just such a trope that she was like, I can just say he was in a duel trying to help out a friend. I think it's just a trope, but I have not I have not read the entirety of Kate Bateman's work. I'm gonna pause real quick and Google this because now I need to know. Sorry. We have, we've only read the one by her, the princess and the earl. The princess and the Bow Street Runner. She was a Russian princess. There's something about jewels. Necklace? A necklace? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Necklace. Because I remember you got pissed off about the necklace. Yep. That's <laughs> why okay. there is gold in Wales. I also, I just uh, Googled that. Uh, I know that because the wedding rings of everyone in the royal family are made from the same piece of Welsh gold. Ooh, the same piece? Mm-hmm. They've been doing it for, like, since Queen Victoria's, and, like, apparently Kate's ring was the last one. Oh. They're just out? Well, that's sad. Um, piece of Welsh gold that makes all royal wedding rings. I'm, I'm serious. Like, that's a You thing. got distracted that's... from the original Google, though. Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> Look, this you better is- save this and put it in the next errata. I will. That's how <laughs> all of our erratas happen. Okay, so this is a reckless match. Okay, all of these don't actually give me summaries. Oh, this is bad. Come on. Kate Bateman romance novel books. Yeah, from the Klogau St. David's gold mine. All right. I think they were gifted another chunk, and Megan's came from the new chunk. Oh, from the new chunk. Yeah. Okay, so that was a bad link. Give me... I don't want to click on everyone. I just need to know, because I will recognize the name of the hero and the heroine. I'm literally loading individual pages for all of her books because I need to know that bad. Uh, by the way, the brother who you're concerned isn't really an architect but is in fact a spy is the next book. Oh, well, then we're going to find out soon because I just got it. Um, okay, so Meg and I went to the movies together. Yay. Which is extremely <laughs> exciting in this we are maybe having some normal summertime fun life post two years of COVID. Um, and we saw The Lost City, which I know a lot of people in Romance Landia have also done. Yes. We did see The Lost City. And there were a lot of things that we liked. Yes. There were a lot of things that, okay, we've talked about this before, about how the things that have the most potential are the ones that we get frustrated with. And yes. I will just say that 
after this movie was over, we sat down and talked about all the different ways that we would have fixed it to make it perfect. I think overall, we both thought it was really funny and really fun. Mm-hmm. But we didn't think anyone who has ever actually sincerely enjoyed a romance novel was involved in the making of this movie at all at any stage. Yeah, I, I just, I really wish they would have called in just one person, romance writer, romance reader, as a consultant, just just on, you know, very small details. I could tell that they were at least trying a little bit to add some in. So, like, for example, there's a part where her publisher talks about how she's defending romance as a genre, basically, about how it's, um, you know, one of the best-selling, it is the best-selling genre of books, right? Right. But it's sort of dismissed by the author herself. And I think the depiction of a romance readers left something to be desired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that said, the first half of the movie is hilarious. And I think Brad Pitt should get all the accolades. He was so damn funny. It was a really funny. It was so funny. Every part with him in it, I died. It was so funny. I think, though, once the initial setup had sort of been executed and the characters were sort of thrust into the meat of the plot, mm-hmm. some of that died down. And well, it leaned a little less heavily into the jokes. Well, And let's be clear, it's the part where it turned into the a romance that it had some issues it just right? it stopped having the same like joy. Yeah. And the plot and stopped read, moving at the same pace. I was like, we have read so many rom-coms, so many but I mean, our preferred genre is fun and fluffy romance, right? So you can have romantic stuff. You can have a love story that's also funny. And this was it's clear that Sandra Bullock's character, Loretta Sage, LOL. Writes erotica or like erotic romance novels, but this movie is not an erotic romance, which is fine. Like, I'm not saying I wanted to watch Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock hook up. Like, that's very different than reading a sex scene and having it all be in your head. But I thought there were a lot of missed opportunities for like unresolved sexual tension or even just allusions to romance scenes that would be really common. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of missed opportunity to sort of lean into that this is a romance stuff. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I did think it was fun. Like, from a movie-making perspective, they leaned into a lot of stuff. Like, the dream sequence, the beginning of the book, the, the beginning of the book, the beginning of the movie opens with her trying to draft a scene in her book. So you're seeing on the screen what she's seeing in her head. And the outfit in her fantasy very closely mirrors what she's wearing at the end of the movie. Like, there was a lot of little, mm-hmm. like, movie industry thread throughs that I think yes. worked really well. It was, like, and that's what kind of worked the best. Like, Channing Tatum playing an actor who pretended to be a romance novel hero, where Brad Pitt had a very similar aesthetic but was actually a hero. Like, right. those sorts of visual gags really worked. Yes. But when they tried to get into anything specifically about romance books, it fell a little flat. Like, there's a scene yep. where there's only one, ro- 
only one sleeping spot in the hammock. <laughs> only one bed on the island. And there was just like, yeah, of course, they start sleeping apart, but wake up spooning. And then that doesn't go anywhere. Like, you don't and, get the moment of her finally looking comfy. You don't get the moments of either of them pretending to be asleep just so they can linger a little longer. You don't get any mm-hmm. of that. Yes. And to be clear, as Lane said, I don't need to see them trying to hook up in a hammock. Although that would have been really funny. if that I actually kind of wish that had happened. Not from an explicit standpoint, but from a humor standpoint. Exactly. Like... Or maybe they started making out and they couldn't do anything because the hammock was, like, messed up. It would have been great. Yeah. But even just a moment where she wakes up and for a moment doesn't realize what's going on and, like, snuggles a little closer. Yep. Even that. But to be clear, we had a really good time watching it. We did, and... I think everyone in the theater knew how much fun we were having. And I will say this, fantastic soundtrack. <laughs> yes. A <laughs> lot of big energy played at the end, and I was all about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, she, she was all about it. She was dancing in the theater. And I didn't know what song it was, of course. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just, like, the, her book is called The Lost City of the D. The Lost City of D, Yes. I just, like, those, I'm fine with those jokes. Like, yes, no one would name a romance that. I don't care. It was fucking hilarious. It it was really funny. I didn't need this to be, like, kissing romance readers' asses. I am fine. I can, like, absolutely laugh at myself and recognize where the genre can sometimes be ridiculous. I just wish the poking fun had felt a little more affectionate and a little less cheap shot. Well, there was a part at the end where I thought it worked really well. Yes. Like, anyway, I, I, I won't ruin it for you, but there was, there was a part at the end where they're sort of talking about, yes, about how there is a formula, but why that works. Yes. And I thought that was really good because it's, it's both playing into what we like and also like, yes, we get it. It's, it's a little bit silly, but it's, it, was, it was affectionate. And I'd even say like some of the, erotica that gets read out loud that is not sexy at all was funny like i didn't i didn't need them to get into like how sexy romance novels can actually be no no i just i thought the idea that like romance novel readers are a bunch of just a group of horny screaming fangirls that aren't interested in anything to do with the literature at all and the idea that the author resents that that's what she writes were hard pills to swallow yes and again these would have been very easy tweaks i think to take care of like very easy i'm not even kidding you i would have changed nothing about daniel radcliffe's performance or the execution of cheese throughout this film oh my god that's one thing i will say every single actor looked like they were having an amazing time it was so funny, and if you like to see Channing Tatum dancing, which the Magic Mike franchise would imply most do. Uh, there's say, a does really, anyone not? Really great Latin dance sequence. Mm-hmm. That is sexy as fuck, which Meg and I both felt was a missed opportunity to go a little further into character development backstory. Also, because we're us and we have to like just point this out, I was really frustrated with the plot. 
<laughs> it was not the point. Yeah. I get that. It was supposed to be fun and fluffy, but given the the she's a widow and they've been working together for the entirety of her book series, which just published its 20th book, and their relationship dynamic and their relationship history that you are given makes literally no sense given the confluence of those timelines. Mhm. Mhm. It was very we spent a long time afterwards being like, well, if she publishes, she published 30 novels to make this timeline work. She would have to publish at least three per year, which we understand that romance is a prolific genre. However, three per year is kind the of same a series and within a romantic series where it's the same two main characters. Yes. Like we were just like, mm mm. Mm-mm. And and I know it gets brought up a lot in a different room by different romance authors. Um, but romance readers know how to follow timelines. Have you seen the Sinster family tree? <laughs> like <laughs> this I was know. a very easy thing to identify as a flaw. And if they thought romance novel readers seeing this movie would not be duh fuck, there's a problem with this timeline. They don't know us at all. <laughs> they don't. They don't. Uh, the, you, you've read the thing, right, where someone was like, the forgettability of romance is part of why people read it. And it's like, no, I remember the name of the hero's wife's cousin because they are obviously going to be hero eventually. Yeah. Sorry. And you got to know everything about them up to that moment because you might not get the backstory in their book. Yeah. Hey, what's the name of the ferret in the Hathaway series? <laughs> we know the name of freaking ferret. It's Dodger. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe if you're going to say that they've got a relationship spanning a book series, don't imply he's only known her as a widow and her husband died five years ago. Right. So we picked that up real quick. Especially because clearly her publishing has been more limited since her husband died. So it does not imply that she's been publishing at a rate of two or three books a year. Not since he died. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. There's <laughs> some issues with it. But there's pretty people doing pretty people things and not pretty people things. I laughed a lot. I laughed a lot. I honestly, first half of the movie was like almost pure joy. I was like laughing so hard. So we, I, I think it's a solid B for me. Yeah, B plus. I give it a B plus. And I'm trying, I, I think in some ways it loses the plus for me because of missed opportunity. It could have been an A. It could have been an A. Plus, plus, plus. Would watch again. If they'd given Meg and I money to consult on the film. <laughs> you call us any day. So Meg and I both really enjoyed Jeannie Lin's series on the Ping Kang Lee, but I questioned whether or not one of the earlier books in the series had been a happy ending. Um, and so Meg asked me whether or not I thought the final book in the series was a happy ending, and this was my response. I hope you thought their happily ever after was happy. I did. Good. Um, I think it was really easy for me to, one, like, it was very clear she was helping him be the constable. Right. And it was also very clear that, like, 
I know this is like heavily implied, but I definitely felt like they'd continue to get sort of off the record assignments from Bai as well. Mm-hmm. From Huang. So like, I definitely felt like, but it's not like they were going from opulence to complete hardship. Right. Or like something she'd never known before. Like they were never going to struggle for money. Well, and she knew what she was getting into. And she, like, she knew she didn't want her current level of comfort you know well but she's also on good terms with her family and if they ever actually hit on hard times they will get bailed out because she had her family's permission like i'm not saying this is the life adjustment that would be easy for either of them but they have such a clear safety net that i'm not actually about them that was part of the problem with ming wu and ming yu and wu was like yeah there's no safety net there like true you know, yeah, maybe he finds out constabling's not for him and he ends up really being a spy. And if they need some money to float them while that goes down, mommy and daddy will write a check. They will. They will. We know that too. And that's like, let's be real. That's a huge part of happiness is knowing if you take a risk, there's a net. It's true. So maybe they never need it, but they don't have to worry about it if they do. Not all of our outtakes are from Plot Trust episodes. This is a little moment between Meg and Tati reviewing one of the episodes of The Courtship. Mr. Bukakio. Because I didn't know his name is... His name is not that. Uh, oh, uh, with, um... What is his name? Which one? The, the, the one that... Bukakio? Like, I cannot say but the, but- this is a clip of just our initial, immediate, have to talk about right now, Bridgerton thoughts. Yeah, I mean, the first three episodes, I felt like this is the Viking who loved me. After that, I had to really recalibrate because it was no longer the Viking who loved me. Which, we didn't love that book. I'm not inherently opposed to that. No. Okay, I'm going to be completely honest. I think I have to reframe this entire series as inspired by the Bridgertons. And not adapted from. Right. Yeah. I, first of all, I just want to say off the, like, everybody's complaining about the lack of sex, which, of course, this was not sexy enough. And even the B plots were not sexy enough. But the lack of fun mm-hmm. is what bothered me. Like, That's the biggest thing. Other than the joy at the aesthetics, mm-hmm. I really didn't get much joy or, like, hand clappy giddiness from watching this season. My favorite subplot was the freaking Featherington subplot. Which ended up being meaningless, and I think that's sort of, this season has made me realize just how much they're willing to lean into the filler that isn't sexy or romancy. Like, the scene with Sienna under, Sienna, the scene with Sienna under the bureau, or, or Kate under the bureau while he's with Sienna, mm-hmm. cut completely, so why was Sienna there in season in one? In season one. The Featherington cousin is clearly a one and done. Yeah. And there was just so much time spent on him. I mean. Yeah. I, I said this, and I, this is a reminder for myself. I want to total up the total number of minutes that Daphne and Simon were on screen together in season one. Not just having sex, like literally on screen together. And then compare that to the number of minutes that Kate and Anthony are together on screen. Yeah. Because this season didn't feel like it was about them. No, no. I like, mean, it was, but... There... I think the whistle down might have been the A plot. Yeah. And it was bad. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. I will say for most of the entire season, I was like, mm, hashtag not my Colin. 
And then at the end, I was like, wait, it's my Colin again. He actually kind of showed up as like, kind of like Colin. Yeah. I still don't want to raise my hopes too much because, again, it's not going to be what I want. Yeah. I need to just read Romancing Mr. Bridgerton again. <laughs> Meg and I will be interspersing a review of whatever season is Penelope Colin with chapter-by-chapter chapter reviews of Romancing Mr. Bridgerton. Oh my gosh, maybe we should. Yeah, the next season, I mean, I have heard people say it might not be in order, and it does seem like they're really setting up Penelope. Well, yeah. Well, it'll be really interesting to see how they build that because they went so far from the Whistledown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both in terms of like who she was as a writer and the types of things Whistledown wrote about in the books compared to the show, but also Whistledown being outed by anyone. Who knows about it? Because that's, I mean, the whole thing, one of the things that is the catalyst for everything in um, Romancing Mr. Bridgerton, of course, is the the bet that Lady Danbury makes to unmask which, uh, Whistledown. And I'm like, you can't make that bet when so many people already know who Whistledown is. I mean, they got Anthony and Edwina to the altar. Yeah. I, I, I no longer want to predict be, what they can or can't do. I mean, I know what it's going to be. It's going to be Colin falls in love with Penelope, and then he finds out that it's Whistledown, and he's really pissed off because it ruined Marina's life. Well, They're going to wedge in. And Eloise's and his family. He's going to wedge in some kind of freaking love triangle. And the best thing about romancing Mr. Bridgerton is how little angst there is over her being Whistledown. But some of that is because Whistledown never actually ruins anyone's life. Right. So I, they've just gone in a totally different direction. I also, the B-plots were not sexy enough. I, I, I swear to God, I would have, I was into the Featherington subplot. I felt heat between those two. Yeah. More than, like, Benedict and his model. What were the other big things not put in the show from the books? Because we kept waiting for the scene where Anthony saves Penelope. Where Anthony saves Penelope, walks her into dinner. Um, there's the, uh, when Anthony, so Anthony doesn't fall in the lake. It's Edwina. Edwina gets knocked in the lake by Newton. Um, and then, of course, when Kate gets married to him, she still thinks that he's digging Edwina. And in this one, they went in the opposite direction where even if he's marrying Edwina, she knows he's into her. So there was never any worry that he thought Edwina was more attractive than she was. Right. But Edwina, they also went way harder on her feelings. Yep. There's still a couple other things that, like, not even Anthony Kate. Anthony was just a shittier brother. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the things Kate, that you will remember from Meg and my reviews of the books is... We like him in every other book, just not in his. Mm-hmm. All of the Anthony is a good brother, with the exception of one scene, weren't really there. Yeah. And Kate's a great sister and a great daughter, and because of the way they changed the plot, which I was originally really excited about. Me too. She was a shit daughter and a shit sister. Oh, yeah, you really didn't like Mary. No. They She got a little better in the end, but... Kate had already effed it up so right. completely at that point that it was hard for that to matter. And the Theo subplot. And all the Queen stuff. All the Queen stuff. And it's not that all of those things were bad in a vacuum. It's that, again, this did not feel like Anthony and Kate's season. Right. I agree. It didn't. And hashtag no sex. <laughs> yeah. They literally had to throw the sexiest scene in the epilogue. Yeah, I feel like the trailer um, really tried to play this off for the book fans. 
Because if you look at the trailer, oh, that's the part. There's another part that wasn't in the film, the sh- the show, was when Kate has her like PTSD flashback. Yes. In the library, and it turns into like makeout. Yep. They they had a sort of they had a meeting in the library, but it didn't go very far, and she wasn't freaking out. She was just like, I don't like the rain, you know, <laughs> and um. I feel like if you watch the trailer, they put a part where she's in the library and you're like, oh, it's going to be that scene. But it wasn't. Yeah, they definitely, Paul Mall also wasn't as good as it was in the book. Just point, like, pretty disappointing, Mm -hmm. actually. So I think you're right. They really played up the we understand the book and the book readers in all of the initial advertising. And... This is reading a little too deeply into this, but I know one of the big criticisms that exists in true romance landia is how people want to demean yeah. the happily ever after and the they're hooking up through the whole book, even though the emotions are sort of unsolved. Yeah. But that's what makes romance fun. Right. Like, I like romance. I don't need you to transcend the genre. Right. And with this, like, random B-plot about a con man marrying into the Featheringtons and, like, really playing up the who is whistle-down drama way too early, I feel like there's this... And and lessening the sex. There's sort of this impression that, like, we're going to make this better than the romance novel. And look, goodness knows the Viscount who loved me is not my favorite. But... I feel sort of insulted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. As mm-hmm. a tr- romance lover, that this is what they thought the best adaptation of that book was. Yeah. I will be very interested to talk with someone who hasn't read the books. Yes, me too. So. But yeah, I mean, D+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know no what one, you're talking about, Lane. No one should go snorting wine and liquor. <laughs> You're breathing first. Don't you sniff it first before you drink it? Like waft it. What do you? What do you call that when you sniff wine? Smelling it. <laughs> I feel like there's a special word for it, but anyway, I think it's waft. Nose. You have to nose it. No. Nose isn't used as a verb, I don't think, in that context. And a wine smelling your wine or nosing it. I've only ever heard nose used as a like category of adjectives. Like, what is the nose on this wine? I'm just telling you what the Washington Post said, which is I don't don't believe it. I'm gonna trust myself over the Washington Post. Sorry, Tom, whatever. (laughs) I I will say it is the only one that says nosing it. Yeah, Everything I'm pretty else. sure nose is a descriptor, not a verb. Please talk about smelling it. This guy tells you how to smell your wine. The grip, positioning, angle, intake, sniff versus Hoover versus retro. No. I love wine and no. Active versus passive inhalation. <laughs> so see... You should decant your wine before you inhale it. Passively or actively. <laughs>